Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome in to UAP Weekly, this special edition here of UAP Weekly. I am Stephen Diener on the Unidentified Alien Podcast Weekly Edition. And on today's episode, I will be speaking with Eric Hecker, who was, um, well, someone that I've been patiently waiting <laughs> to speak with for the past few months. And I'm very happy, finally, that our schedules could match up and uh, have this interview, have this discussion, really, together that you're about to hear uh, on the show today. And of course, it, in case you forgot or you're not aware, uh, Eric Hecker was one of the big whistleblowers who came out at the Disclosure Conference back in June in Washington, D.C. And, you know, a couple of the other names that were there, of course, I've spoken to already in Mike Herrera and D.C. Long. But with Eric Hecker, that was another person from that conference that I really wanted to get in front of and talk to and kind of pick their brain to see, you know, What's happening? What what's what's going on in these with these stories that he has about uh, this South Pole, you know, station that was uh, being controlled by the U.S. government uh, in conjunction with with Raytheon, of course, you know, part of the mil- military industrial complex. Um, so he was down there for a year, and so if you're not familiar with that story, we're, we're going to go through the backstory a little bit first, and then I'm just going to throw this out there because I, I really don't have much to say aside from this interview because it is so lengthy because it is so heavy um i'm just kind of gonna go right into it today with eric hecker but it is again i i use the word heavy it's it's a lot of heavy subject material it's just a lot to take in i guess that's the best way i can put it so in the interest of uh, full disclosure so to speak this interview was recorded yesterday between myself and eric hecker uh, bring it out to you today, and just to give you my reaction, my my view from it, after we were done with this interview yesterday, on my way home, I was just, I mean, I gotta tell you, I was I was unsettled the entire time, I was disturbed, um, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it, I mean, I'm just telling you straight up how I felt after this interview, so it's up to you, if you believe what Eric Hecker is saying, then on that end, this could be the biggest scandal, the biggest reveal, um, one of the biggest reveals of our lifetime. If you're, if you believe what he's saying here, that's up to you. I'm not going to force it upon you. That's you know what we always do here. You listen and decide for yourself. But I'm just going to put this out there. If what Eric is saying holds true, then we're talking about um, world-changing type of stuff. That's people need to be aware of, and that is incredibly and measurably important. Um, so again, you make up your own mind on on these details. If you think it's all BS, then by all means, carry on with your day. you got to be entertained for a little while. But nevertheless, we'll start this now. Enjoy. All right, here we go, guys. Excited to have him on. Eric Hecker here on UAP Weekly, joining us here on the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And uh, I'm really excited to have you on, Eric. Thank you again for joining me here on UAP Weekly. It's, it's a pleasure to have you. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me, Stephen. I, I appreciate your interest in this topic, and uh, I'm looking forward to a, a nice conversation. Yeah, likewise. And, you know, it kind of goes back to, just to give you a little backstory about, um, I guess, my views on this and I, how long I've been kind of looking forward to the opportunity for us to have a conversation. I was in D.C. for the Disclosure Conference, and I'm sitting there kind of front row-ish, and I'm watching you, I'm watching my career, I'm watching DC Long. I had the pleasure of speaking with both of those guys, really great guys. And after watching you guys, I thought to my I left that conference and I said to myself, I have to talk to them. I have to talk to them on UAP. DC and Mike, I was able to, and I'm finally happy to be able to get you on the show and discuss uh, some of the things you talked about. Because unfortunately, you only had about five or six minutes up there because the conference ran long. So but in those five or six minutes, your comments made waves all over the Internet. It was on YouTube. It was on Instagram, all over social media, on Twitter and things like that. Those five or six minutes where you talked about what's happening in Antarctica, what you witnessed and the advanced weaponry and all these different types of things. So we're going to get into a lot here today. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. So first off, Eric, let me just go into anybody who's not familiar with um you know, what you've done in the past or even just your history, what led you down this path where you found yourself as a contractor for Raytheon working in the South Pole? Wow. <laughs> I guess the long and short of that one, because when you would say what led to it, um, I'd, I'd have to back up really far. Sure. Um, I, I would say that it was not a long line of happenstance events in my life that got me to the South Pole Station. I believe the world is crazier than people have considered. And I will as boldly state that I believe that the road that got me to the South Pole Station probably started uh, in the womb with programs left over from World War II and OSS into CIA programs. And I would say that um, it's been a long, strange trip. That's why I call my my whole um, activity in this direction deciphering my experience, because I would have to say that I'm still trying to connect all of the dots. But just for, I guess, an attempt at brevity at this point on this question, <laughs> I would just say that um, I think that for a long portion of my life, there was more of a guiding hand in the activities that I was doing more than it was. Um, me thinking I was choosing to go to these places. Hmm. Well, that's, that's kind of leaves it open to interpretation for me as far as, well, I guess professionally wise versus personally wise, but I will touch on personal first. So you talk about that guiding hmm. hand and it's really intriguing actually that you bring that up because I'm right in the middle as we speak of writing a new episode. So outside of UAP weekly, I stay with you know what I call traditional UAP, what kind of started it all for me on the show, which was kind of relating different stories um, to the listener and saying, here's what this story was. You know, what do you think of these events? Whether it was the Zimbabwe sighting at the Aerial School in 1994 or Rendlesham in 1980 in England, all these different things that I've spoken about, and I'm in the middle of writing right now. Is religion uh, a a is it acting as a barrier to disclosure? And so I wonder. When you talk about a guiding hand, are you talking about a guiding hand of a higher power or a guiding hand of someone behind the scenes who has 
who kind of chose oh, you? Oh man, for this story? is this is a great question. I'm dying <laughs> laughing. At I'm, like, I'm like, here he is. He's at, he's 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 doing. He's asking a question to try to make this simpler. And as you're saying it, I'm like, oh, this is where it gets exponentially more complex. Let's do it. Let's, let's get complex. Well, yeah. I know it's only a few minutes in. What happens when I say both? <laughs> yeah. Oh, both. sure. Okay. I I would have to say that you know there are. I would say uh, apparently. I think there is a, a hand of divinity that has saved my ass hmm. on the path that I've walked many times. I feel it's observable. People can do with that whatever they want in their religion and, and make, you know, fill in the details that make them happy to hear that. Um, but I don't adhere to any one uh, propaganda stream in regards to what's going on in the cosmos. <laughs> Fair enough. So all I can say is that in the in the deciphering my experience, I have um, certainly been being helped, protected by something. Hmm. It could be good people. It could be something better. I will, all I can say is, from my perspective, I have observed it. Um, but then, with that being said, uh, the pendulum swings the other way too. And I would say that um, more on a um, material observable level in my direct firsthand experience of life and my experiences, um, I feel almost like there was a, a negative department at play hmm. that has been giving um, more guidance to where I show up than I previously thought was my own choice. Interesting. Okay. So when you talk about, you know, I guess professionally speaking, because we could probably go down a whole rabbit hole for the next hour just on that, but I know we want to get to a lot today. So, um, understood. Yeah. So when it, when it comes to professionally speaking, what led you down the path? Like what, what dominoes fell to get you inside this South Pole station that quite frankly, I would say the vast majority of the population has never even heard of this place existing 10-4 uh in that capacity professionally i'll shorten it to that i would say i had my own business running i was doing all right in the world and then the obama administration came in and the whole economy tanked mm. so um doing uh, a decimated bottom line i had to start looking into other areas to work and at that point in time it was literally the only place in the world that was willing to cut me a check so i took the job hmm. and that that ended you up with with raytheon right it's basically who absolutely was the, the contractor yeah i was hired by raytheon polar services which was a uh, the outfit that was the third party contractor at the time operating under the direction of the nsf and that was who hired me they're a defunct company now because somebody else has the contract. Hmm. Raytheon proper has now changed its name to RTX almost immediately after I gave testimony to the Senate Intelligence Committee, which I thought was effing awesome. <laughs> no, are you sure that wasn't a coincidence, Eric? Are you sure? Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't care. I don't care if anybody calls it a coincidence. I am I am going to um, scream from the mountaintops that that was all me because that's great. Raytheon. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah that's the cool. way that the way that they treated my crew at this point from what i understand how everything actually went down wow. um yeah i have i have no pleasantries for that corporation mm. as far as i'm concerned they're the devil incarnate in corporate form mm. unbelievable so when it comes to what was what was your capacity what were the specialties that led you to kind of you know 
go hand in hand there with with Raytheon at the time to say, oh yeah, you know, you're the guy for the job. What were your specialties that they brought you in for? Um, big picture stuff. I would say that I was uh, very talented in my trade. I have the the trade skills in the plumbing and heating industry to do very well uh, for complex systems in you know cold environments, rudimentary resources, that type of stuff. Then, in addition to that, I had some previous previous experience in the submarine service, mm. so they already understood that I had already passed a lot of you know psychological evaluations, physical standards, and so they did take all that stuff into consideration. So that was a feather in my cap as well. And, you know, at that point with the uh, the economy, I think they were a little bit desperate too. <laughs> so I got I got lucky. I went, I got to go to Colorado on the company's dime. They did, you know, further testing, psychological evaluations, training. Um, I got hooked up to be on the fire brigade there. So that was a very important role. I was operating in a dual capacity more or less every single day between uh, the trade work that had to be accomplished. And then when the alarms went off, having to respond to events, you know, in full SCBA gear and just ready to rock out whatever dilemma presented itself. So kind of a twofold question here, Eric, um, first mm-hmm. off the year. So just so people have like a time frame here, what was the, uh, the time frame that you were working at the South pole station and what was the purpose of this play? Or I should say, what is, I mean, I, I assume it's, still under operation, you correct me if I'm wrong there, what was the purpose of this station to begin with down there in the, in the South Pole? 10-4. The, uh, the time period that I was there was from November of 2010 until November of 2011. So a full year. 366 okay. days straight, I was basically on the continent of Antarctica. Wow. wow. Okay. <laughs> so what was, then, your, yeah, what was the point of the, the So now operation? when we get to the purpose, right. uh, you know, from my experience that I'm trying to disseminate to the world is that we have a very dangerous directed energy weapons platform that's either a single system or multiple systems in conjunction with each other that can accomplish a lot of nefarious stuff. This is operating under the pretenses of amazing science that the world needs. It would probably help, I would assume, uh, some of the science that they're holding kind of, you know, close to the vest. And that kind of goes to the whole discussion of reverse engineering as well. What kind of sciences and technologies could be helping, you know, humanity as a whole that is being held back in these black ops sites would, would, would we consider this a black ops site the south pole station or is this just something that people aren't paying I attention I, to i don't i don't want to mince words and and everybody would probably yell at me for whatever my definition is of black site versus their definition of black site um so i'm just gonna you know i'm just gonna go in the direction of uh, a term that's out there that i'm a bit more comfortable with in this direction it's just above top secret hmm. Everybody thinks of, you know, top secret stuff and signs and barbed wire fences. Okay, okay, 10-4. I won't argue that if that's it. I'm just going to say this is above that. And above that is by this definition. There are facilities that are so secret that they don't have a single sign on them that says secret. There's no barbed wire fence. There's no um, lock at the front door. There's no security. You would never know that the facility has nefarious stuff going on that's at an uber classified level. Is presented as normal hmm. and the people there look like they're up to standard jobs i i can this was a suspicion i've had in my life many times over as a tradesman in the in the greater new york area because i've been in a lot of these facilities as a plumber and was observant enough to be like wow this is really weird i think that, and then next thing you know you're in some obviously secured area 
So I've actually been telling folks this for years that, you know, these facilities are, they're all under our noses. And uh, I did get it confirmed when I went to Washington, D.C., because when I went to the SCIFs, um, one, of, one of them I'm not allowed to give out any information on uh, in specificity. But what I can say in a vague way is that the facility was right in the middle of a standard, you know, commercial residential neighborhood. Any, any, any Joe Blow could have walked into the facility and may, may not have necessarily realized, but, you know, I had previous experience and we were being sent to this area, you know, under, you know, very specific reasons. So it was kind of hilarious just to say, oh, here we go. Super duper. Oh, I was told this is the most top secret facility in DC. Oh, it's so funny that Joe Blow can walk in with me. Unbelievable. Just hide in plain sight, just like they always say. In Absolutely. Movies. Yeah. So this is, this is a lot of what's going on at the South pole is that this facility is just it's just one of these facilities it's like super secret there's crazy high level stuff going on but those are the places that don't get labeled right wow well that's a good way of putting it when did you first notice that something was going on here at this facility what what kind of tipped your hand to think oh wait there's oh, okay. there's stuff they didn't tell me about that's happening here um when i discovered that the elf system was in fact um energized and functioning because I was told with great specificity that it was off, <laughs> that it was disabled, it was de-energized. That's what I was told. It was, you know, as a as a tradesman and a firefighter at the facility, um, more so the, because of the firefighter position, I had to get educated pretty much in what every room was, what its true function was, what the um, danger was to personnel. Um, both before and during a fire up into including the like the sprinkler heads going off. Mm. So we had to know what equipment was in the room that could potentially electrocute a uh, firefighter in, you know, soaking conditions. So there's a, there's a lot of conversations that were had, and I learned a lot about what was going on in that building. And in one particular instance, there was um, an electrical circuit that I had to de-energize. And through going through the sub panel to track the circuits down, I discovered that uh, there was a breaker in the on position that was labeled to be in the off position. Mm. And it was the, it turned out to be the ELF system. So. And it was just like, that was the eye opener for me when I was like, Whoa, why did they hammer down so hard on telling us this thing was off? It's obviously on now. And they're just giving me like the, um, the line in the sand, like, listen here, you needed to confirm what breaker was what we confirmed that the circuit you're working on is safely that circuit. So you just get back to your job hmm. and that's the end of the conversation. I was like, wow, that was really weird. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be quite a moment to kind of say, all right, but something else is going on here. So what what does that mean for people who don't know when the you know ELF is supposed to be off, you find out that it's on, what is that tell what is that trigger for you that makes you say, Oh, wait, so now because this is on, this function is is happening or can happen. Well, again, this goes right into the conversation of directed energy weapons. So, yeah, I was I was uh, profoundly moved at that point, let's just say, um, because I, I understand directed energy weapon systems. I mean, now, you know, for the, the general audience member, I can't I can't sit here and start explaining a whole new technology to them bore them to death. Right. Um, but in reality, it's this is stuff that people need to look into. It is a big deal. Directed energy weapons systems are a very complex conversation. They can do a lot of things. There's a lot of symptoms. This is, you know, 
the drum that I beat as of late is please everybody learn what directed energy weapons systems are because this is um, a really long conversation. But the South Pole Station appears to have at least one, the ELF system, uh, is referenceable as a directed energy weapons platform. So just learn what that one can do. I've confirmed that one's energized. And I'm sure we can get to talking about the ice cube neutrino detector also having um, itself on the list now as a directed energy weapons platform. But back to this question, it looks like there's at least the one that I confirmed, a second one that we'll get to. And now when you talk about directed energy weapons platforms, they are multifaceted in what they can do as a standalone system. But then now there's exponential things that can be accomplished by networking them. So these are, you know, again, levels of this conversation that people need to start getting familiar with is that, you know, it's almost like, oh, geez, it makes me think of the Voltron cartoon show back in the day. <laughs> uh, have you ever seen that one? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So it makes me think of like each of the lions has its own capability. But when you start connecting them all together to create Voltron, it gets exponentially stronger. And that's what, again, what these directed energy weapon systems can accomplish. So we're, we're, we're talking about the possibility, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but we're talking about the possibility of other directed energy weapon systems throughout the country, whether or not they're owned by the U.S. government or U.S. military, other weapon systems around the globe that can connect to one another and a bit essentially create some type of unseen mass weapon? Absolutely. Yes, that is correct. That would be one way of putting it. Wow. And now all these different factions have all their own different systems and they're just like uh, cross marketing to each other. Like, hey, if you guys have this and we have that, we can work together and accomplish this. And it's just, you know, this is it's almost like uh, like uh, technocratic classism. Those with the tech are taking advantage of those without the tech, but to a level of advantage that is appalling. To that's... the point that we're in the middle of a, 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 a new type of war that's going on by a new level of combatants where the vast majority of people in harm's way, the walking wounded, mm. aren't even aware of the wounds that they bear. They don't know the technology bearing down against them. This is we get right into the conversation of Havana syndrome. Yeah, we're 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 all suffering under these technologies but people aren't paying attention. I, I keep telling people to now look at all of the people close to them, pay attention to everyone and try to observe for Havana syndrome symptoms. And I think it's going to freak people out when they start paying attention to the fact that everyone's getting them, hmm. not just the DOD employees, not just the CIA agents, not just the targeted individuals that have been screaming from the mountaintops for years of, um, the government using electronic warfare against them. I think this is a justification for a lot of the people we've been calling crazy for a few decades. It's it's starting to look like they absolutely were government guinea pigs, but now we're seeing the same symptoms in the general population. What would those include, Eric? As far as as far as your knowledge goes on that, uh, let, let's let's just go with what's observable. Yeah, I'll say up to and including mass mind control. Because I would suggest that the entire COVID situation, um, you show me any point in time in the history of the world that you can get the whole world to agree on something pretty much overnight. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't care the details of the topic, right? 
you're you can't get two cities to agree you can't get two neighbors to agree you certainly can't get two opposing sports teams to agree you, it's, there's a lot of conflict in this world i think that's highly observable but if you're going to tell me that all of a sudden within uh, a couple of weeks you're going to have the whole world on the same page I'm going to suggest there was an electronic outside operating force that all of a sudden made everyone agreeable. You know why I would suggest that? Because there's patents for devices that do that. Hmm. Yeah, this, I, everybody wants to be screaming from the, the propagandized last few years, trust the science. Well, 10-4, you don't get to be selective on the science you trust them. Look into the science of mind control, the devices that have already been patented, created. Look at all the directed energy, weapons, systems, platforms, and manufactured products that already exist. Raytheon makes what's called the active denial system. It's a weapons-grade microwave. Really? That will, absolutely. They refer to it as the ADS, but it's the active denial system. And it's a microwave weapon to provide crowd control, to blast human beings to cook them until they turn around and run in the other direction. So, wow. This already exists. These, the, the, This is why I said directed energy weapons exist. People just don't understand to what extent. They're not discussing them. I'm just trying to get this conversation started, but it's a big one. No, you're right. I'm really appreciative that you've come on here to do that today. Um, so I guess that, that leads me to, to my next question here because I do I have I have a whole list here for anybody who's seen I'll go for it, go for it. the video on YouTube. That's, I got a whole list, but one of the questions that um you know kind of leads leading us down the discussion here, what is the main purpose of these directed energy weapon systems? Is it is it crowd control? Is it, you know, to to create or you know, this control over a society or I mean what is the purpose of these things? multifaceted in the, in the most general sense it would have to be control but then you would say well how and then that's when we get into the you know the multifaceted capabilities to, of directed energy weapon systems as an example um crowd control like active denial something like that if you can do it at a greater distance and a longer range and uh, a greater scope then you're just the more powerful nation you know if you can microwave a whole nation from a satellite in space and make them submit well, guess what? There's value to investing in those weapon systems. Do we know that if these think. things have, have been used? They, yeah, Raytheon has Humvee mounted active denial systems. They've wow. absolutely been used. Wow. These are the weapons of war, um, but that people don't understand are available to the black market. They're available to the highest bidder. They're available to the alphabet agencies. They're available to the militaries of nations that are supposed to use them against each other but what does against each other mean anymore mm. if one country is irradiating another nation's population so another nation then responds back and does it but the two nation states are at war at a level that they don't discuss with the common man i would again suggest everybody needs to look around and pay attention to the modern walking wounded that are getting hit by these devices every day as our lying nation states are at each other's throats what would you describe as the the walking wounded? What what would that entail? What would that look like? Uh, that pretty much pretty much what we're seeing around us right now. Yeah, well. uh, but it has to do with um, um, mental issues more or less, mental mm. stresses, strains, um, the homogenousness of the decisions that are going on. It's like literally they can make a commercial tomorrow and have everybody on the same page at this point. It's like a, it's like having a thousand cats in a room and and one red dot pointer on the wall. 
it's really easy to get everybody's attention. I want to jump and back that, a little bit um, on some of the things that you know you saw being used at the South Pole Station there uh, in conjunction with with Raytheon. We talked about uh, a laser of some sort. Is is this yes. laser? I guess, for lack of a better term, weapon communication system is that used in conjunction with these direct energy weapon systems, or is this something different? I, I, I believe it's its own standalone system that's multifaceted, and again, another cog that can be applied in another combination of gears to accomplish other things. So, and I guess I'll throw this out there too, in conjunction with the neutrino um, system that's under the ice. I know you mentioned that at the disclosure system. You mentioned that before in a couple of other interviews. Do all these things work together as like one giant communication system? I know you also talked about it as like the world's biggest telescope in a way as well. How does all that work? It, it, it is the world's biggest telescope contemporarily. And it's my understanding, I've come across literature that actually says that they're looking to increase it at the up to 10 times the size it currently is. So this is, again, you know, like I've been telling folks, we need to pay attention to it. Now we need to pay attention to it more. I mean, it's, it's kind of getting ridiculous the the scope that this thing is going to be able to function at. Our, our, our observing, when people look up the cost of what it costs to build the ice cube neutrino detector and the ice cube lab atop of it, um, I believe it was some absurd numbers like $500 billion. Oh. Oh, so now they're going to make it 10 times the size. Is this a justifiable expense for the science presented? Or does it seem like the justifiable cost would be for a secondary or tertiary thing that nobody knows about? Because what's the return on investment for it, it as a neutrino detector? And I guess, can this also be used as a direct energy weapon system to put out to space? Is this something that we're trying yes. to use against... Otherworldly technology. According to the science, there's no restriction when it, it's in transmit mode. It should be able to function, um, yeah, on Earth, off Earth. Are we are we taking down craft, Eric? You know, because so many people. Oh, I believe so. Uh, so. Yes, I believe since I believe since World War II, uh, we've had the technology, and again, most likely provided by Raytheon. I, I suspect that that info is out there. I just haven't come across it myself, but. Um, from what I understand of the microwave technology, even back then, it was being presented as a line of sight communications that they could, you know, as long as they had, you know, line of sight, they could shoot these really long microwave beams. And that was the pretense that was going on. But it has since through research and even my own connections that I've come across that these folks were operating some sort of microwave beam weapon and that they were messing around with those UFOs. How many other sites do you know of this or that are like this, you know, in conjunction with the South Pole Station? Do we know of any more that are within U.S. control or just in general, you know, around the world? Well, when you say like this, I would just go back to the term directed energy weapons then. And I would say there's a lot of sites like this. Um, you know, we got the, the dew line up in the north um, that was from way back when to defend against. Um, Soviet invasion from the north. I mean, you had out on Montauk, Long Island, the SAGE radar system out there that was questionably a, a, a weapon as well, and um, some other peculiar spots on the east end of Long Island. So um, there's also a floating HARP system that the Navy has. You have the HARP facility up in Gakona, Alaska. There's multiple HARP systems all over the planet by other nations and factions. So this is, again, it's just when people learn 
all of the things these systems can do, you know, um, I mean, the harp is, according to its patent, patent an ionospheric heater. Hmm. So when people say, oh, you know, global warming is caused by humans. Well, yeah, but not in the way you've been told. Did hmm. anybody know that there's actually a ton of ionospheric heaters functioning all over our planet that are actively heating the ionosphere? And then all of a sudden we hear tales of, you know, we have to regulate you this way because the planet's getting warmer. Well, if you keep turning the thermostat up by adding a new boiler, I mean, you know, it's kind of really effed up to be blaming the general population when it's um, really just rich billionaires with bad intentions. So is that another form of, well, I guess, you know, mind control in a way, in, in your estimation, these ionic, I've never you're heard of straight that. Up into, you're straight up getting into environmental controls at that point. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're controlling the environment around the people that you're now trying to control the minds of. I would say controlling the environment um, has um, a lot of sway then hmm. in the manipulation of the mind. Why? This is... <laughs> I mean, it's literally like it's literally being able to control the playing field. Like yeah. imagine if you were allowed to, as like, let's just say there's a baseball game going on. But now part of this new way of doing the game is that teams get to modify the field on each other. But imagine if only you can do that and the other team couldn't. Right. Yeah, it doesn't seem very fair, does it? Yeah, right. If you get to control the parameters of the of the battlefield, so to say, you have a lot of control over the battle. Uh, I got to ask you this, and I know it's 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 a controversial subject, I guess you could say. But you know, bring up harp, you bring up all these things as far as, you know, controlling the environment. We've seen a lot of natural disasters, so to speak, recently. Um, yep. You know, I live down here in South Florida, so I've seen many hurricanes in my time. Uh, we just had one that went up toward the panhandle, you know, a couple months ago. And I can't help but to wonder, outside of the hurricanes, when you think about floods in Nevada in the desert, these freak floods, Floods, you know, uh, near uh, Libya, these massive earthquakes in Turkey and Morocco have killed thousands of people. Um, the ho- fires in Hawaii. Are we looking at natural disasters or are we looking at something more sinister in these cases? Oh, we're looking at something way more sinister. They're mm-hmm. absolutely not natural disasters anymore. They're manipulations of the environment by these same systems that I'm discussing. There was an Air Force document which was actually given to me a long time ago. Um, and it's since been declassified. And it discusses that the Air Force would have full control of the weather. Um, I forget the exact year on the report. It was something like 2023 or 2025. Hmm. And it was saying that they are working on the technologies. It wasn't a, It wasn't like um, a hypothesis report. It, like this was you know, declarative, and they were addressing how they would have control by this date, you know, 2023, 2025, whatever it was. Um, And then they were explaining everything that their capabilities would be. And everything we're watching occur around us was already pre-described as events that they'd be able to manufacture against our enemies. Hmm. You know, that was the pretense of all this stuff, you know, that of course, you know, we need these things to, you know, fight our enemies. But um, I think what we're seeing is how rapidly they can um, 
pull out a new enemy for everybody to target whenever they want to. And then all of a sudden we have all these, you know, draconian events occurring and natural disasters and the horror shows that happen around them seem um, very easy to manufacture if people start paying attention to the technology that is currently available and on the plane. It's on the playing field, but we're all being told that no one's playing it. Are, are there, is there any truth to some of the things that people saw that would correlate with these weapon systems? Well, I guess what I mean by that, when it comes to the fires in Hawaii, um, there were reports of green lasers, actually videos. I mean, it was kind of, it was verified uh -huh. of green lasers coming down in that area. It was, and it was reported that it was China that was mapping the area through satellites. When there was the earthquake in Morocco, I'm sorry, in uh, Turkey, that terrible earthquake they had a few months ago, there were reports of, and there are pictures of this, of this really strange-looking red cloud, almost like in the shape of a rose. I don't know if you saw that that was going around. I, I did not, but I do not doubt it, and I, I would suspect. Are those signs? If there was a, I would, I would suspect yes. That uh, I would say that there's again a lot of people want to dial this into specificity, but they have to understand there's going to be a lot of variety now. So if you're if you're at a place where there's a directed energy weapons attack, I would I would just want to say something like there should be something observable. Hmm. There's going to be an impact by having all of this energy, um, let's just say applied to an area that was like there's got to there's got to be something that occurs. It could look like auroras, maybe it could potentially be a laser beam. I don't want to try to say this means that. But I just want people, again, to start paying more attention to what's going on around them because there should be some sign of something going on. If all of a sudden there's an earthquake, if all of a sudden there's a tsunami, you know, and if we go so far as to follow what I'm saying and say that they can be caused by the application of energy delivered from great distance, then there should be some observable reaction to that energy being delivered. What was... What was the original intent of this station or stations like it, Eric? Or was this it? Because we talk about going back to your, um, your, your, the speech that you got to make, the short speech you got to make at the disclosure conference back in mid-June in, in D.C. You talked about this earthquake as, um, in Christchurch, New Zealand back in 2010, 11 in that area as, as friendly fire. You, you've described yes. it as. Was that yes. almost like, to use an analogy here, was that like the discovery of penicillin where we discovered it by accident? And they said, oh, wait, we can actually use this. Or was that the intent the whole time to have these directed energy weapon systems? From my conversations that I've had with the parties involved, um, it was an understanding that this system was built for this express purpose to have this capacity. It was not an accident that this um, ability showed up. It was the intent. The accident was just... Um, not hitting the bullseye when they pull the trigger you know it's like when someone makes a gun they know they made a gun now they're just checking it for accuracy by pulling the trigger and seeing how close they can get to the bullseye they were aiming for something else hmm. christchurch was off the mark do we know so what that was at all or no say that again do, do, do we know what what they were aiming for or was that just i do not okay i do not it's 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 fascinating to say the least um when we talk about these these systems that can be used for these specific purposes, and mm -hmm. I, I can't help but to wonder, because you said you were there in 2010 all the way up to 2011, November to November. 
Mm-hmm. What's happened since then? I mean, I assume this station is operational still. We're we're talking about absolutely. Almost they're, years. they're about to make it ten times bigger. <laughs> so I mean, that's what that's what's going on. Is that I I feel like I'm trying to be like the 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 Paul Revere, so to say, of the the new technological war that we're already in. Mm. You know, like everybody needs to pay attention and understand. Um, what capabilities exist on this planet, which is like I said, these are the weapons that are on the playing field. These weapons exist. They're here now. And the forces that can wield them can wield them without telling us. And we would never know unless they told us. Because that's kind of the point of most of these weapon systems is to be that invasive and that intrusive and that subtle that things occur without the general population even knowing. Um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. way back when, war was a, a much nobler situation. We would dress our crew up in a uniform, send them out over to the front lines where we knew where it was, and we would all have at it until you know one side lost. Unfortunately, it seems that in the modern world, they have circumnavigated those old noble protocols of battle. Now, no one's wearing a uniform. Mm. The front line is everywhere. The nation states aren't attacking each other's troops anymore. They're just attacking the general populations directly, the infrastructures directly. We used to dress troops up in uniforms, put them away from the population, and we would exhaust each other's resources through a third-party location. Mm. Now, the... um, profiteers that make money off of both sides of a war have discovered that it's more efficient to not waste all the time and energy to build up massive arsenals to ship them into the middle of nowhere to destroy an area's resources that they really actually just wanted to take advantage of to begin with so now it's cheaper for the robber barons of the world to just circumnavigate the whole concept of war that was fake to begin with Hmm. we're all under attack every day by their new invisible weapons boy that is uh it's quite a sobering thought um is it (laughs) i i I guess what i'm wondering from there is what is what is their their end game with this i mean is it just to have ultimate power over society is it just to have ultimate power as one country take over the world, the, you know, the global elite getting together and acting as one new world order type thing. Like what, what, what are they trying to get at here by using these directed energy weapon systems? Uh, honestly, I think they already have the control. I think the power players of the planet have been treating us like cattle for quite some time. Hmm. And if the herd gets so massive and uppity and rowdy and, and unmanageable, which society gets unmanageable sometimes. It gets too big, too fast for the lazy oaf billionaires that are trillionaires that are running it. Um, it's, it's simple. They, just, they call the herd. Hmm. Man. Well, I, I guess, you know, we can theorize about that for sure um, when we see some of the things well, that happened just I mean, in the past again, five it's ob- years. It's, obser- it's, ob- it's observational. Yeah. We just went through. We just went through a massive culling. Right. The whole COVID thing was was understood uh, way too late to be an absolute scam, but there's certainly a death toll involved. Right. And it absolutely 
was a manipulation of reality. It wasn't an accident. Hmm. So there are parties that were involved in making sure that those deaths occurred. Right. It was, in fact, a conspiracy at this point by definition. It's. I, I want to jump back a little bit um, to the idea of, because this fascinates me when it comes to this this possibility of taking down you know alien craft so to speak mm-hmm. yeah that's a practice that's happening at the south pole station and in other places like we are directing these energy weapon systems not only on humans but at extraterrestrials who are coming by earth and we were taking them down for their technology i can't, I can't imagine that they wouldn't i i did not hear that that was happening directly from my crew but when someone studies what these platforms can do, since it's on the list of things that it can do, I would suspect that they are. Mm. I mean, this is, I'm, I'm kind of, I guess the opposite of the general population where everybody's like, um, you know, you have to prove this and blah, blah. I've seen so much stuff. And my understanding of how these operations function is that if the technology exists, right, it's just this simple. If the technology exists, Someone is using it. This stuff does not just sit on the shelf collecting dust. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, how much how much has been worked on when it comes to the reverse technology and aspects, if, you know, as far as what you've come across? Are we working with ETs? Because there are different stories out there when it comes to, you know, Eisenhower way back when in the early 50s, having this, you know, handshake deal with the Greys, and that's something that I've looked into before just on previous episodes. I mean, are we looking at a reality where those types of things are taking place? Dulce Base is another example in uh, New Mexico. Uh, is that kind of stuff happening where that hand-in-hand work is being done? I think it's so obvious to say yes, but I think a lot of people would 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 disagree with me because they just have, I don't know, average mortgage payer Mm. syndrome. I mean, they only look at the, the things that are really tight in the world that don't look the big picture, the history of things, you know, I would say this control stuff. And, you know, when you say reverse engineering of space tech, I would just say like in many ways they've been being utilized since time immemorial on this planet, it's just a matter of who's been in charge of the understanding that these technologies exist. It's wild stuff. And it's been really fascinating. And, and in regards to the whole <laughs> aliens, good and bad and helping, I would, yeah. I would, I would say that it's obvious. I would say that there's a lot of factions on our planet. There's a lot of factions off our planet. There's almost an infinite number of ways that these factions can be engaging with each other. And I think that's the situation that's currently going on is that we are literally so distracted by the benign, mundane, structured environment that they've built around us that we can't even really begin to think in this direction of how complex it is. We've been that dumbed down. You know, biblically, they would say the fall of man. And maybe it's just the mental capacities and understanding of the big picture truth that's going on around us. That's absurdly complex, you know. What if what if there's thirty seven hundred off world factions that engage with our world? What if each one of those factions has a dozen different main groups within itself that are now operating all over the planet to accomplish different corporate investments over in this part of Earth or in this? I mean, 
the sky's the limit for how different reality can be around us than what's been being presented in a Truman Show capacity. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny. I just want to say, you know, I guess in the interest of full disclosure, I guess that is the best way I can put it. There aren't a lot of times, because I, guess I almost like want to apologize, there aren't a lot of times where I've been left speechless here on the show. Um, so I want to apologize for my pauses and things like that, because it's just been so uh, thought-provoking talking about all these subjects with you. So if I'm like, seem like I'm stuttering or I'm at a loss for words, it's just because I, I really am. I'm at a loss for words with some of this, these things that we've talked about. It's, it's, um, it's incredible to think that these things are happening. It's sobering. It's kind of frightening. Um, to think it that, should be terrifying. You know? People, I mean, I don't, I don't come bearing great news. I apologize for that folks. But you know, to me, it's like, you know, it's the same thing as being in the bar. And if your friend's about to get sucker punched, like you're obliged to like do something, say something. So I just feel like the whole world's about to get sucker punched by technology that they just had no clue. And I was going to ask, is that what kind of led you to do this? I mean, what brought you out, you know, even going back to, you know, middle of June at the uh, uh, disclosure conference from Dr. Greer, what was kind of the catalyst that made you say, all right, I've got to come out and talk about this stuff. Was it a conversation with Dr. Greer? Was it something just nagging in the back of your head? What, what brought you out to, oh, I, to speak about all this? I, I was happy to come out to speak at Dr. Greer's event because I felt my information was pertinent to the presentation that they were doing. But I had been giving my information out for a few years prior to that. It's just it doesn't get much traction. Mm. I mean, there's there's a whole industry that at this stage of the game is is deeply invested in making me shut my mouth. But, you know. It's going to cost them a lot of money to figure out that I'm not going to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was actually wondering that. Is there uh, an instance that you felt like, oh, boy, this is kind of weird. You know, am I being hacked? Am I being listened to? You know, I spoke to just kind of going oh, back. That, that, I've, that I've, I've kind of, again, goes back to, I would say, a whole life experience. I think that I was aware that um, my electronics were being paid attention to great depth. Um mm well before people would engage that conversation and not call me a loon. But I was, I was, I was aware of it back then. There was some folks that I trusted that I spoke to and, you know, it was, it was actually really easy to test, um, make your phone cut out back then by just having keywords. Like it was, there were certain words you knew you couldn't say, or you're going to lose your cell signal. I mean, it was yeah. that rudimentary, but they could make that stuff happen. And there was ways to play games to, to dial it in and, and show people, I mean, I could I could talk on the phone with you for forty five minutes, but if we knew the keyword, it would be like, all right, Stephen, ready? Hold on, watch. I'm going to say the keyword. We had a perfectly good conversation up to right now, but watch this. Yeah. And you could do this stuff back then, and you could just hammer down on you know keywords, and then next thing you know, you're getting cut out. And that was a control mechanism way back when, when people didn't even realize, you know, these these phones were not for our convenience. They're weapons. Mm. These are invented to be crowd control for, you know, other factions. And then next thing you know, um, things that were originally, you know, the taxpayers' research and development to manufacture weapons of war for our enemy, it turns out they then don't necessarily use them in that capacity. Somebody else gets a hold of them. And next thing you know, their buddies distributing it to the general population as mm -hmm. this grandest new convenience as they all profiteer, make billions of dollars in the process, and now take what were intended weapons of war, and all of a sudden they're in everybody's hands. Look at um, look at drones, right? Mm. Aerial drones. 
when they first came out were weapons of war, and we were told that they would never, ever, ever be allowed on American soil. But now everyone has access to these weapons of war. Yeah. This is a good example. I wonder, is it... I'm trying to think of how to kind of phrase this. Well, I guess going back to some of the things that you came across in uh, in Antarctica, you know, there's been different reports that I don't know if you came across this or even if you heard about it. Mm-hmm. There's always been reports that I've seen of, as crazy as this might sound, of pyramids in Antarctica, um, of different caves that house extraterrestrials, giant UFOs, this type of thing. Even going back to the stories of Operation High Jump, which did happen in 1947 with Admiral Byrd. It was a Navy operation that was supposed to go and establish these U.S. bases. Other stories say that they ended up getting into an intergalactic battle. Um, did you see any proof or hear of any of those types of things while you were there for a whole year? Um, geez. I would say that there was less that I observed directly when I was there and more that I figured out from communicating with other crew hands and doing a lot of research um, since then, being able to apply the discernment of someone who had been there in the research, because there's a lot of crap about Antarctica that people have no idea is crap, but I get it. They weren't there. Um, So this is also part of my mission is to provide a lot more truth about the Antarctic situation because I'm obliged to, because most, most people have not walked a path anywhere near that so at some point they're going to have to take someone's word for it and i would like them to start taking my word for it over people like raytheon Hmm. or the united states federal government i would suggest that they might be um disingenuous on the topic interesting well yeah i I guess they have um you know reason to be so to to speak exactly um they're making billions of dollars off of the stuff that they sleep in bed together about and I would say that I'm not making a nickel off of this and just have the better intentions than, you know, military industrial contractors and uh, fascist governments. Have you received any any direct threats? Just Tons. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I get direct threats all the time. I have I have I have passive aggressive digi warriors challenging me to charity fights because they think, you know, uh, them kicking my ass will generate a lot of money for the disclosure community yeah it's hilarious and then i have everybody uh threatening you know you better not leave alaska you're up in alaska because you're a coward and if you ever come to the next event i'm going to come there and you know knock your block off wow i get this all day long why are they so angry at you why do you think uh the truth hurts that's basically what happens is that a lot of people can't handle the information that i'm putting out there a lot of my real life experience and documentation um, thumbs its nose at a lot of the stories that the profiteers are manufacturing. Antarctica is a very big topic. If you notice, there's a lot of people making a lot of money talking all kinds of smack about what they think is going on down in Antarctica, Mm. but they've never been there. So it's all conjecture. It's all speculation. For all practical purposes, the general population needs to know that 99.9% of the information that's being discussed about Antarctica, both inside the program and outside the program, is either A, BS, Hmm. or 10 years behind reality. That's that's a great statement, actually, because I'm wondering, and I'll I'll get you out of here pretty soon. We've been talking for a little while now. Um, 
but just a couple of things come to mind. What is it that when you say, you know, a lot of the stuff that we hear about Antarctica specifically is BS or it's 10 years behind, what are some of those things? Uh, one thing that just came out recently was their uh, academia has released the information that the continent of Antarctica has as massive waterways as any other geographical land mass on the planet. So now considering that there's two miles of ice atop the land mass of the continent of Antarctica, and considering that that land mass is for the most part below sea level, A, the existence of these massive waterways would be prime routes for submarines to access these natural features. So this brings us into the conversation of what were the Nazis doing during World War II and post-World War II, and where did their submarine fleet go, and a lot of conjecture around that. Things like this are now just making it to the general population to support accusations that were made about stuff that happened almost 100 years ago at this point. Hmm. So That's so- how slow the dissemination of information is. But I knew this 10 years ago, what was going on down um, underneath the ice. So, you know, that's something I observed myself, that it, there's a, about a 10-year delay in academia from, I guess you would say, the front edge of science to when the regular folks get to know. And everybody might say, well, that's ridiculous. Why would it take so long? And the easy answer is, is that there's profiteers in the mix. There's people that are investing into this research and such. Um, there's people that are getting paid out. And there's people that want to get their money back on their investment in it. So they gain control of the information as it's being disseminated. And therein comes, you know, knowledge is power. You know, power is money. So this, this is just, again, it's part of the superstructure of everything that surrounds us. People really think like the breaking news is, you know, scientists figured out, oh, you think it was yesterday? <laughs> I guess that goes back to what we were saying earlier. You know, you were last there at the South Pole Station 12 years ago, you know, kind of shudder at the thought of what is their capability now, 12 years later? Right. Now that they have it dialed in, now that they're not misfiring anymore. Right. And they're getting better and better at application of energy from great distance. So. I had someone reach out to me and emphasize someone that I'm I'm familiar with having the knowledge. um, And they were emphasizing that, you know, the ice cube neutrino detector having 5,160 microtransmitters embedded in the ice for all practical purposes. I mean, this is the the definition of a phased array antenna. Hmm. And when you, you know, understand the, the length, width and depth ability of this thing to more or less, I guess you would say, like, um, modulate, fluctuate, redirect, you know, to work with energy. Earthquakes happen on fault zones regularly, fault lines, fault zones. And there's already a situation going on at that point on the planet where there's um, energies fighting each other and a, a, a something looking to relieve that fight. But then when you apply the energy from this massive um, array of microtransmitters, it's it's actually really easy to start an earthquake when you look at it from an energetic level. And people would probably freak out when they understand how easy it is. I mean, even Nikola Tesla himself, the hmm. father of the electricity that we use today, not Edison, because we don't use DC, we use Tesla technology right. every day. Right. So 
even back then when Tesla came out with the Tesla coil, the Tesla transmitter and receiver combination unit, it's not a complex circuit. It's not something that the average homeowner couldn't build in their own garage. And this is a device that can now wirelessly transmit energy across the surface of the planet. But this was all the stuff that was squished way back when. Right. Because it, it would absolutely change the face of the earth. And things would be completely different nowadays if we had um, given more attention to some of the grander aspects of Nikola Tesla's work. But that stuff was removed from the general population's conversation. So is there free energy capabilities out there that would just put these big companies not, out of business? I'm not a fan of free energy, per se, in the concept that um, most folks use it. Um, I understand there's a gentleman named... Kevin High, who's a genius on this topic and would answer it better. But I'm going to do my best to bastardize things that I've heard him post because I think he's the only human being I've ever seen be able to discuss this topic um, with great ease. It is a challenging one. We have to take the vocabulary that we've been programmed and pretty much throw it out the window. Hmm. We need to start immediately with what we can observe because that's all Nikola Tesla did. That's all Victor Schauerberger did was pay attention to exactly what Mother Nature is doing and properly copy it. We've just been told that things can't happen. I mean, wireless electricity can occur. We've seen it in a lightning bolt. Massive amounts of power can be moved through the atmosphere from one place to another in the blink of an eye. It's totally possible. It's just a matter of us um, figuring out the machinations to do it the human way. Mother Nature certainly provides for the possibility. So I guess I'll, I'll, I'll get you out of here on these last couple of questions, Eric, is kind of switching gears to the current uh, disclosure efforts that we see, you know, in Congress, mm -hmm. uh, Representative mm -hmm. Burchett, you know, from Tennessee, Luna and Moskowitz down here in Florida, you know, all these names, Nancy Mason, South Carolina, there's a lot of names of representatives in Congress who are kind of on both sides of the aisle who are pushing for some type of disclosure, answers, whatever you want to say. What is your take on some of these things that you see kind of going on when it comes to congressional hearings? You know, uh, David Grush and Ryan Graves and all these names who are out there now trying to push disclosure forward, and yourself too, I mean, for that matter. Great question. Um, what I would say I see is I absolutely see a push from both sides, and I think it is standard operating procedures as usual. The left pushes in the margin from the left side. The right pushes in the margin from the right side. And they start to compress the conversation within their margins to control the narrative. Mm. If you say something that's outside of the conversation by either margin line, both sides will call you a kook and require you to get back into the conversation that they now control the narrative thereof. That's all that we are witnessing when it comes to what the government is doing publicly. They are so full of crap <laughs> on their lack of knowledge of stuff. Like they're making it out like as if they just started the investigation now mm. and they're moving forwards with information from startup date, you know, circa 2020. Like so as if they didn't know anything before then. And so, they're just starting now, and they're going to be as forthwith as wickedly fast as possible. No one's going to profiteer in the process with what they find out. Unlike unlike standard neutrino detectors and rivers in Antarctica, we're going to wait 10 years of profiteering on that info. But this info, which is worth way more money, we'll get it to you guys immediately. Hmm. If anybody believes that, they're, they're 
very naive. So basically just a charade, like we would talk about some of the names that I put out there, Burchett, you know, Luna, whoever else that's kind of in the yeah. forefront of this. They're, they're part of the process. They're part of the program, essentially. Absolutely. Now they're going to they're going to all posture themselves. They're going to look for lobby groups to fund them that, um, you know, are, are military industrial contractors, aerospace engineering corps. They're just going to they're going to follow the money, but they, they have to build the path first. Mm. They have to guarantee that these technologies. Oh, does Boeing want access to the info that the tax, the American taxpayers, you know, are going to be handing out like candy or is it going to be Northrop Grumman? So then these parties then start to vie for the attention of the politicians that are going to be posturing. And in the process, it'll take about 10 years for them to say, OK, so what we learned on this day 10 years ago was that, you know, um, this UFO was shot down and now you're going to get access to it from the American taxpayers paid for a secret facility. Now we're going to put this thing out into the commercial realm for you guys to figure out technologies to now sell to the American people. We're going to use it for weapons, hmm. but you guys will get to use it on the civilian population for a fee. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating to think of it that, that way. Yeah. When it comes as, to as everybody's, as everybody's cell phone now is yeah. monitoring their breath rate and heart rate. <laughs> Good points. So what about guys like Ryan Graves and, and David Grush? I mean, are they, I, I guess in your estimation, have they fallen into the trap of, hey, we're trying to get this out there and you're taking us seriously? Or, or in your estimation, are they agents of the same it's, cloth? It's my understanding they're, they're dissipators that they're sent to distract from, I mean, let's just put it this way. Um, that whole event was a whole bunch of people with secondhand information that was being prioritized uh, by the mass media over an event that had people with direct firsthand experience. How ridiculous is this logic? How far do we go in this direction before it's the telephone game of information? So to me, it's, it was an obvious maneuver to distract from those that had firsthand experience at, a, at an event that was um, giving pressure to the false narrative. So would you call their... Um their efforts noble or are they just part of the program do you think oh they're totally part of the program yeah i think i think it was a total con job and I, I really find that interesting because you know the narrative that that we've seen um really from the general population commentators things like that is that these guys are really you know they're doing a service to the you know ufo community so to speak and mm -hmm. we don't really hear that that uh point of view i think the point of view that, that you're presenting is one that really hasn't been spoken about. So I think that might catch a lot of people off guard. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, BS coming out of the government in these offices now because what they're basically stating is that, you know, this technology, um, they're, they're making it out as if they haven't been using the technology themselves. I mean, that's the, the easy lie right now hmm. is they're addressing the topic as if, oh, wow, there's this, there's aircraft in the sky that have more advanced capabilities than the standard military that we present to the public can do hmm. as if there's not equipment that we haven't seen. They're right. measuring everything off of what can be seen and such. And even the special operators have seen all the crazy stuff we do have. So currently the people that are supposed to be disseminating the truth to us are basically acting like they have no idea that anything like that could exist on our planet. Certainly we don't possess it. And we don't know of any enemy states that possess it, which is just lying. They mm. they know that we possess this level of stuff. 
They know the enemy possesses this level of stuff. They know really rich people possess this level of technology. Hmm. So there's just a lot of lying going on to the general population because the people that possess the technology are A, in control of the technology and don't want it disseminated and B, are making tons of money by keeping it secret. Well, you know, you always ask the question, if, if, if you have a question, follow the money. That's um, yeah, absolutely. It really, you know? it really is that simple. Yeah. It's just that most people don't do due diligence to where all the money goes um, because that's, you know, part of the game is they, they make it hard to find and they like to make lots of times. It's so funny. They like to make it look like money can disappear. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's been an eye opening conversation, Eric, I think to say the least here today. And one of the last questions I want to ask you is, I think one thing that people might be thinking while listening to this or watching this interview, they might think to themselves, the biggest question that, you know, someone who's going to doubt your information or, or doubt your point of view on these things, they might be saying, well, how does he know all this? Like, where is he getting all this information from? How does he know that this and ABC, everything that we've talked to here today, there's no way, you know, he can know all this. What do you have to say to people who would come out with, you know, basically, uh, you know, a statement or or doubting like, like that? When it comes to your claims, I would, I would say I understand that their experience is completely different from mine. From my perspective, it all makes perfect sense because I've walked the path of experiencing the vast majority of the things that I discuss in a, in a direct firsthand capacity way. So it just it boils down to, you know, those that do know. Hmm. And I've done a lot. I know a lot. And all I can do is try to share my experiences um, so that people, I mean, get the benefit of it. I mean, this is like back in the day, we would all sit by a campfire and, and communicate with each other so that we all learn from each other's experiences, you know, prior to having all these technologies and, you know, handing pictures and video and links to everything, you know, there was the human capacity of just sharing life experience. So that's all I'm doing is, you know, sharing what I've done, what I've learned from it. And, you know, if anybody wants to discount it, I mean, they would have to come up with some facts of their own, I guess. <laughs> and we'd have to have a conversation. But for somebody to um, discount with nothing, I would say it's just a, a standard attack mechanism. All right. Yeah, that's fair enough. What? Um, where do you see, I, I guess, the world? Where do you see the world, society, based on the information that we've talked about here today, your knowledge of all these things going on behind the scenes? Where do you see everything in five years? Let's just go to the short-term game. If nothing changes, if people still, you know, continue to basically not pay attention to these things that we've talked about here today, where do you see things in, in yep. five years? I was, I was actually already taking that into consideration because I don't see anything changing. Hmm. Um, the momentum is continually growing and going in the wrong direction. So I don't see anything good in five years happening. Um, following Newton's laws of motion, um, it's going to take an equal and opposite force to prevent this ball from rolling that's already been rolling in this direction, growing and growing, increasing momentum. I'm, for three years, having my information pretty much fall on deaf ears as I'm watching things get worse. I see five years from now an enslaved population of this planet that'll do whatever they're told because they're cowards. Hmm. Nobody will stand up for what's right anymore. It's disgusting. Strong statement, Eric, for sure. Um, let me, I, I did want to ask you this, and I just popped back into my head. 
the stuff that we've talked about, you know, a lot of this information, uh, you know, the direct energy weapon systems and things of that nature. Have you sat down in a you know congressional setting in a skiff and you know as far as these top secret settings where you've given information under oath? Have you done some of those things? Absolutely, I've done it twice. Right. I did it for the Senate Intelligence Committee, and then I did it for the department that they now have called Arrow A A R O. Um, yeah, I went to two of the skip facilities. I gave my testimony. I provided evidence. Um, I did it under oath. I was all of my information was completely appreciated. Um, I was shocking them with what I was laying at their feet. But, you know, there were folks in the room that understood exactly what I was saying. There was other folks that kind of needed a translator through a third party, someone else who understood. But effectively, by the end of my SCIF meetings, um, everybody understood the information that I was presenting. They were thanking me for sharing it. They told me that it was going to be entered into the National Archives. Mm. They literally told me that I should leave that place um, proudly, knowing that my information was being rapidly forwarded to Congress because of the content in and of itself. I'm trying to let people know that the information that I have is being taken very seriously right. by the higher-ups under the pretense that we the people are being lied to, that there is a military-industrial complex situation. I mean, that's the method that this is being handled in. So what they're seeing publicly is a smokescreen to cover a void in this topic of conversation because there is stuff going on behind the scenes. Um, we do have some good people in, you know, these civil servant ro uh, roles, uh, the politicians. Not every single one of them is bad. There's a lot of corruption going on, and a lot of the propaganda is to make it look hopeless. But it's anything but that. We, the people, have the power 24-7 but there's just a, a small faction that invests heartily to make us forget that. Yeah, I, I wanted to point that out because um, I thought it was important to get that out there for anybody who might be saying, well, you know, this guy, Eric, whoever he is, is just making all this stuff up. So I think it was important to get that out there that you have testified to a lot of this um, under oath. And absolutely, you really have nothing to gain by by talking about this. You have nothing to gain by going under oath I, in I these settings. I absolutely was concerned that I was going to go to Washington, D.C., go into some um, secreted room and get shot in the back of the head. <laughs> I mean, that's the level of how this situation is going. Um, but what I'm risking to get this information out, I had I mean, there's no express warranties that when I was going to Washington, D.C., I was I wasn't I wasn't allowed to bring my own firearm to protect myself. Mm. So I was at the, you know, the whims of the people that said they were going to help me. And it turned out that when we met, everything was amenable. Everything went as they said. I didn't get shot in the back of the head. That's good. Instead, I got to give testimony um, that was taken very seriously. Can you talk and forgive me? I know, you know, a lot of this stuff you can't talk about, but I'm just curious now as we go way over time, and I apologize for keeping you for so it's long. All good. Um, can you talk about who you spoke to or some of the things that you were? Have you been able to speak about everything today on the show that you spoke to them about, or do you have to leave some things out that you spoke about? In, in I, there's space? absolutely nothing that I have to leave out. Okay. I have full liberty to share my life experiences without pause. With that being said, 
I don't want to pretend that I would say that here today we've covered everything. Right. There's plenty to talk about, right. um, but I, I have not withheld anything from you and I have not withheld anything from them. Okay. Was, was it um, Senator staffers? Were you actually speaking with actual senators or Congress people or can you not talk about that? I was speaking, I was speaking with the representatives of the Senate Intelligence Committee okay. in one building. And the, the, I believe the lead investigators from what is uh, Arrow. So you, you spoke with, with Dr. Uh, uh, Kirkpatrick in that sense or, or assistance of his? Uh, I'm not chucking out names just because there's certain specificity that I'm not allowed to give, such right. as addresses of facilities, sure. names of participants. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm totally un- understandable. I'll get you out of here on, on this, Eric. Uh, but no, just again, I just wanted to highlight the sincerity and the seriousness of where you're coming from with all this information. So right. I, th- I think it was important yeah, to do that. And that's, and that's all I've been trying to convey to the general population is the severity of the topic, um, that they need a new vocabulary and understanding of technology. And I want them to do better for themselves. And actually, I guess that kind of gets to what I was about to ask you here for, for the last question. What is one thing? Maybe that was it. What's the one message that you would like to relay? If I said to you, hey, Eric, look, I'd love to have you on the show, but we only have two minutes to talk. What's one thing that you would want to say above everything else that we've spoken about here today that you want to get out to people? There's um, a way that everybody can basically mend themselves in this process, and it's called know thyself. Hmm. A lot of time and effort, propaganda and technology has been applied to humanity on a whole to distract the individual from simply knowing thyself. We're all very confused, but we can get back to knowing thyself. This was the ancient battle cry of the mystery schools of old. They carved it over the archways of the doors. You know, all ye who enter here type stuff. Know thyself. Way back when there were techniques applied by what were considered magicians, sorcerers, whatever you want to call it, and they could confuse people into not knowing thyself by a technique. Now those techniques have become technologies that are being used against you to confuse you from yourself, which is a detriment to you, your your family, your neighborhood. And this is what we're witnessing right now because everybody has been taken over by technology, is completely distractible from paying attention to themselves, what's best for themselves in real reality, not according to the propagandized world around us, what's best for their family, what's best for their community. We've been confused. We're losing this battle, folks. Learn to know thyself. Well said, and, and thank you so much, Eric. Again, uh, Eric Hecker here today on UAP Weekly. Um, it's been an extremely fascinating conversation. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I, again, you know, we, we went kind of over time here, so I appreciate you stay, sticking with us. And to the listener, to the viewer here on the video that we you know, put out on, on YouTube for sticking around, um, hopefully you found it worth your time. I've been captivated by this conversation, so I hope everybody else had the same type of reaction here today because, um, quite frankly, I probably could go another hour with you, but I know we both had to get going here with our days and things like that. I don't want to hold anybody else too long as well, so... Maybe we can do this again another time, kind of pick up on some other stuff. Absolutely. I, I, I would be happy to come back and talk more, Stephen. This is, you know, I think it's important information. And I think the more people understand the information that I'm putting out there, the better. No, that's awesome. Thank you. Eric Hecker, again, thank you for coming on here today. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. And we'll, we'll talk again soon. 
Absolutely, Stephen. Thank you for having me. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thank you. So there you go. My interview with Eric Hecker right there. Uh, again, thank you to Eric for joining me. I know you know he doesn't have a lot of time to, to uh, do these interviews, so I appreciate his time there, especially spending so much time on the show to discuss all these things. Um, fascinating to say the least. Obviously, like I said, you know, when you consider the details, absolutely disturbing, unsettling. Um, but it wasn't meant to be, like you hear Eric say, wasn't meant to be, you know, all flowers and rainbows. It was meant to be, on his part, a message, a warning of what's going on. So a lot of stuff there to process, a lot of stuff to kind of take in, um, and not really much more to say on my end, honestly, because I've just been trying to process this myself for the past 24 hours since we spoke yesterday before, you know, actually going on today and putting this out for you. It's, um, it's just a lot. It's, it's a lot. So I'm sure we'll continue this discussion and keep an eye on all these things as time goes on. There's no doubt about that. And look, you may not even believe what you heard. Maybe you took some things that you think could be true and some of the other things that you think aren't true, been embellishments. I know a lot of the stuff is controversial that Eric was talking about. I know some of you think that, you know, he's just spewing uh, Dr. Greer, um, I guess, propaganda. You know, that's something that a lot of people allege because he was involved with Dr. Greer, and some of you don't like Dr. Greer. I'm not here to tell you what's true, what's not, who to like, who not to like, who you think is lying and this and that. All I was here to do today was to present to you Eric Hecker and his own words and his experiences and his stories, his opinions on what's happening based off of his own experiences that he says that he's had. That was my goal here today. So you make of it whatever you want. I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm not here to pontificate and say to believe this or believe that. I was here to do exactly what we did here today. So just want to make sure I point that out. Um, also, episode 74 uh, coming out soon. I promise. I'm still in the process of getting that one out, you know, between the interviews with Robert Salas and now with Eric Hecker trying to juggle both things. But I am in the process of... Uh, of writing that episode and getting that out as soon as I possibly can. So hopefully soon on episode 74 of UAP, the traditional UAP. But until then, continue to download and subscribe to the show, of course, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, all that good stuff. Uh, this episode, you probably heard me allude to it a couple of times there while speaking with Eric. Uh, this episode is going to be on YouTube. You can find it on YouTube on the UAP podcast channel. You can just search that out, uh, UAP Podcast, and you should find it, should pop up there, maybe UAP Podcast, Eric Hecker, um, and you should be able to, to find that. I'm going to try to put more stuff up on YouTube. It's been hard just trying to find the time to juggle all the social media and everything, but I'll do my best, but this one definitely going up on YouTube so you can see kind of the visual back and forth between Eric and myself as well if you are interested in that. And as always, you follow the show on Twitter at UA Podcast 850. Uh, email S Diener, S D I E N E R, UAP at gmail.com. If you want to email me there, you can do that as well if you have anything to say. Either way, whatever works for you, it works for me. I always try to respond to everybody no matter what. But all that said, that'll do it for today on this edition of UAP Weekly, the Unidentified Alien Podcast. I am Stephen Diener. I hope you enjoyed this episode in whatever way you did enjoy, whether it was just taking in the information, however it was. Thank you so much for listening and for stopping by for another episode of UAP. I will speak to you again right here very soon. Thanks so much. Have a good one.